Welcome back. We are back. It's been a minute. We took a three-week hiatus from SwitchCast Live, and I hope you missed us as much as we missed you. Uh, I did miss being here and talking about all things car-related, but uh, there's a good reason for the hiatus, and I'll get into that in a little bit. But in the meantime, welcome back. Thank you for joining us tonight. I am back in studio live tonight. If you'd like to call in with your questions. Oh, what just went wrong? Oh, nothing. I just pressed pause. I thought we lost all sound there. Uh, I'm going to not touch the buttons from here on out. (laughs) User error. Okay, start over. I'm your host, Doug Tabbitt, founder of Switch Cars, Cannonball Run record holder, and I already said this, but host of SwitchCast. If you'd like to join in the discussion tonight, you can post in the comment flow of wherever you are watching live, or you can call us at 216-294-4124. The wonderful Ethan Huffnagel will be screening your calls, and Tyler will be reading off questions to me So, and random peanut gallery commentary as he sees yeah. fit. I'll do the peanut gallery commentary from far away, so it sounds like I'm from a distance. <laughs> really if you're Mark Spence you. and did it from far away, it would still <laughs> sound like you were close up. Yeah, I can't project as much as you can. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, well, anyway, thank you for joining us. We're going to get right into this. Um, one of the big topics, this is an ongoing topic. This is probably going to be forever a topic, as long as the market's moving, uh, is the car market itself. Uh, Ethan, our producer, texted me yesterday and said, "Hey, you should you should talk about the car market today because the Dow, you know, crashed today." I was like, "Okay, sure, um, yes, we can we can certainly do that." And it did indeed go down whatever four or five percent yesterday. I guess the S and P was down four um, percent, but. In that vein, I want to address something that I think the media overhypes when it talks about why a market goes up or down in a single day. And, you know, large movements, certainly, but if you watch the news every day, which I don't because I get tired of them trying to come up with a story, you know, two years talking about the pandemic when, you know, in daily case numbers, we don't need those updates every day. We all know that we're in a pandemic, but they do the same thing with the stock market every day. Oh, the stock market's up, you know, 2.3 points today, and it's because of X announcement by the Fed or X unemployment numbers. And I'm like, you're talking about trillions of dollars changing hands, and it's up, you know, a fraction of a percentage. It's it's this... It's this phenomenon called monocausality that people assign a single cause to any economic thing that happens. And uh, people are doing that in the car market too. Uh, From as micro uh, point of view as like one single bring a trailer auction, they'll say, well, the market's crashing or the market's going crazy because of this one data point instead of looking at the entire car and saying like, okay, well, why did that one have a high or a low result? Was it because of the color? Was it because of the seller? Was it because of the day or time that it ended? Was, you know, Monterey auctions happening at the same time that this auction ended? Was there three other ones for sale? So the stock market going down 1,200 points yesterday, 
does not directly impact the market as much as people love to wax eloquent on bring a trailer about, you know, a car doesn't sell and they go, oh, it's because the market crashed today. It's like, no, people in general, especially buying hundred plus thousand dollar cars are not making decisions based on one single day in the market. If they are, may I be so bold as to say they shouldn't be buying those cars because if your net worth, if your financial outlook is impacted that much by one single day in the market, then you've got other things to worry about. Uh, the market should be for long-term planning. Was it 80% of day traders lose money? So uh, if you're trying to time the market, most people are terrible at timing and trying to time the car market is even more difficult. But let's still talk about the car market because the reality is that the car market is softening. We're going to say softening. It is not crashing. Uh, different segments are down different amounts, both uh, from the new side and the used side. And people are trying to figure out what to do. Um, a very common question I've gotten asked recently is, you know, what is the right time to buy a car if the car market's going down? And I tell people the same thing all the time, whether the market's going up or the market's going down, I tell them that it's when it's the right timing for you because we have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. The market may start to crash and then the government signs some massive spending, you know, build the economy back up bill that puts millions of dollars in people's pockets and prints a ton of money and all of a sudden the market will go up again. We don't know those things. So buyers have to make a decision. You have to make a decision when it's right for you. Um, same thing with selling. I was advising somebody selling uh, an Acura NSX that they have on consignment with us. And they, I, I said, hey, you know, the market's softening, so we can't expect to price it where we talked about pricing it back in April. That, that moment has passed. But if we price it right today, it'll sell. There's still tons of transactions happening. There's still buyers and sellers. They said, well, we'll just, we'll just wait till spring because it'll get better then. Common assumption. Springtime always brings the buyers out. I said, I don't, you know, I don't think that's going to happen. You know, that when the market changes, it's a, it's a longer term cycle because uh, this is not just a, a seasonality issue. Uh, this is two years of government spending, printing money fueled, you know, buying cars like it's going out of style combined with a severe lack on the supply side. And that's all but coming to an end. The, the supply constraint is still very much there, and it's why prices are not going to resort back to where they were pre-pandemic. Um, uh, I think it was uh, Chad Cunningham was one of the largest wholesalers in the country. Forgive me the VIN. And, and one stat that he continually quotes is that there's, I think there's 8 million cars, 8.5 million cars missing from the supply chain. In a sense, they just they never got made because of all the constraints during the pandemic with the factory shut down and in a unavailability, inavailability, lack of availability of parts. 
So that has a ripple effect because those cars are not coming on trade. They're not coming off of lease. They're just wiped away from the inventory. So that's going to prop up new and used car values for a long, long time. Um, I don't anticipate any major crash. We're just reversing a wee bit. Did the uh, same kind of stuff with supply issues happen around 2008, at least with enthusiast cars? Obviously, completely different situation, but I mean, you don't see a ton of those around. You know, you're looking for a 20 or a 2009-911. There's not a lot right. of them. Yeah, so it's a multifaceted question. So in 2009, well, 2008, but... 2007, we felt the effects of it most in, like it took until 2009 to feel the effects of what happened. But there was the opposite problem where there was a, a burgeoning of supply, right? So Aston Martin, Lamborghini, Lotus, and some of the other limited production manufacturers had expanded their franchises, ramped up production. I mean, you look at like Murcielago to... Gallardo production or even Diablo, right? So they made, uh, I think they made 1800 Diablos total from 1991 to 2001. And that was the only car they made. That was it. Lamborghini made 1800 cars in 10 years. It's 180 cars a year. They made, so then they brought out the Gallardo and the Murcielago at the same time. I'm Googling this really quick. 14,000 Gallardos were produced Whoa! in 10 years. So that's almost 10x just one model, plus they made Murcielagos. So you had a ramping up for production from Lotus, Aston Martin, Lamborghini, Jaguar, et cetera, et cetera. And then all of a sudden you had a financial crisis where the demand fell off the cliff. So it was almost exactly the opposite of what's happening now. And the manufacturers did have to cut back production, but at the same time they couldn't like they had to, they produce cars and they just stuck them on the dealers. So like a lot of Lotus dealers closed up shop because Lotus had been expanding like crazy. Um, Aston Martin and I think Lamborghini were storing. I had a client down in Delray with warehouses. They were paying to store massive fleets of new cars in these warehouses because the dealers wouldn't take delivery of them because they hadn't, they couldn't sell what was on their lot. Wow. It was, it, it was scary. It was eerie. It was like people talk about a crash now. Cause I said something to somebody about like, Oh, the markets, you know, it's not crashing. It's off. Like, you know, 10 to 15% in certain segments. Oh man, that's a crash. I'm like, what are you talking about a crash? We're up 200% from two years ago. 10 to 15% is a hiccup. Yeah. And that's I like that you use the term softening. Cause I get, when I see people say, oh, things are crashing and you're down 4%. I'm like, I'm no economist, but 4% is four one hundredths of all of the percent. Right. So that a bump, a blip, an unfortunate thing, but crashes it. I think like thirty percent, you know, or something right. drastic. Right. 
Well, and in that vein, the stock market quote unquote crashed because it was down 20% at its worst moment from the beginning of the year. But, but if you look at it on a five year scale, we're still up 8% per year on average. So like, but that's why I keep harping that cars are not investments. They're only investments if you time it right, and that's not an investment. Day trading is not investing. Investing is for the long term. 80% of day traders lose money. How many more percent of friggin' car day traders lose money if, you, if you're trying to time it, right? Dealers make money because we buy it wholesale and sell it retail, not because we're brilliant like with timing. We buy a $5 bill for $4 and sell it for $5 what happened in the last two years is you have people buying a $5 bill for $6 predicting that it's going to be $8. And when a $5 bill that they bought for $6 goes to four ninety, all of a sudden it's crashing because that's the end of the world because their predictions aren't working out. But it's been awesome in my mind because as a car guy and a reasonable car dealer, I like flat markets. I don't like it when markets move because in flat markets, people buy cars because they want them. They expect to lose money on them because that's usually what happens with cars. They cost money to own. And so they're buying them for the right reasons. And those are the best buyers. That's what brings joy to me in the car business is dealing with people who come in, who get really excited about a car because they love it and they can't wait to enjoy it. And they go out and own it. I do not enjoy selling to people who ask what the car is going to be worth tomorrow or the next day or how much money they can potentially make on it. I still like those people. I respect those people. I'll take their business. But that's not what gives me joy. That's kind of the frustrating end of it. So I'm okay with a little bit of reversal because it's resetting people's minds. It's going to take a while because people started to expect to to make money on cars and they thought they could just do it on everything. But, uh, yes. Uh, the other interesting thing about the car market reversing is Carvana. So somebody asked for an update on the mint green GT three and on Carvana. I'll do Carvana first. Um, Carvana stock is actually up from its low. It was down to like 20 bucks a share. It's up to 36 bucks. And you've got different experts predicting different things. Like I, I Googled them just recently and you have articles like literally next to each other. You have one person saying why Carvana's stock is going to double and another person saying why Carvana's bankruptcy is imminent and inevitable. I am 100% in the latter camp because they haven't friggin' made any money yet. Like, they're losing money and still taking on debt and investors. And you cannot service that kind of debt when you're losing money. Even when you're making money, it's hard. Like, just if you have any questions about that, go look up what happened to Toys R Us. Great company. They tried to friggin' take over the world. They got overloaded with debt and they couldn't make enough money to even make their debt payments. And so they filed bankruptcy. So Carvana is going to run into an interesting issue now where like they can't overpay for cars anymore and they aren't. We're finding them much less of a formidable competitor because they're no longer paying 
over retail for cars and we can actually buy cars from people now. Um, but they are already struggling with margins and part of their restructuring plan was to lower their costs and increase their margins on their cars because they had to in order to overcome all their operating expenses. But they're going to be looking at losing money on cars because they're in them too heavy. And that's really going to suck because they have, I don't know, hundreds of millions in inventory most likely. I mean, it's yeah. they have a lot of cars. Um. So as this correction happens, as used car demand wanes, Carvana is going to find themselves in a, an interesting place. Um, Illinois pulled their dealer license earlier this year and then reinstated it after Carvana gave them a plan of how they were going to change their practices and fix their business. And that lasted like three weeks and then Illinois pulled their dealer license again. <laughs> That's really not good if you're a car dealer to lose your dealer license. Like this is a publicly traded company and they're coming under sanctions from the DMV. Like it takes a lot to get your dealer license pulled. Like for instance, CNC exotics took people for millions and millions of dollars. And that came to a head about a year ago and people in the industry knew about it a year before it went public. Customers were posting on forums. Customers were not getting paid. Banks were not getting paid off for loans. And it took the state, county, whatever, the regulatory agencies a year. Um, that's Yeah, it was, it was a year after one of their floor plan companies that financed their inventory came in and with tow trucks and repoed all the cars on their floor plan. It took another year for the state to shut them down. So the fact... Like you have to really, really screw up a lot for a state to impose sanctions and pull your dealer license. So the fact that Carvana is, uh, yeah, already had two states pull their dealer licenses, and I think Florida also threatened to. But man, I it's, it's not going to work. I'm calling it that. Like they're they're gonna they're gonna have to file bankruptcy at some point. They're not. Not going to last. Well, those silly vending machines are just too expensive. You can see them from the highway, but... <laughs> they have an insane amount of administrative costs. I, I think in an article I read that they have to make $5,000 per car to cover their administrative costs. And they're selling cars that are like thirty grand on average. Five grand. Just to cover administrative costs. Is that even possible? Unless you're buying absolute scrap. <laughs> I mean, we're we're happy. Our average profit margin on sub 50K cars is 12%. And that was like COVID margin, right? So like prior to that, it was 8 to 10%. We're psyched with a 10% margin. So 10% margin on a $30,000 car is three grand. They have to make five grand and they're way overpaying on buying cars. So like, where do you make that up? So you got to rip everybody off just to cover your administrative costs. I don't know if that includes their multi-billion dollars in debt either, but 
you add in the debt servicing, like you just, you just can't freaking make enough money. Yeah. And, and they, the bottom line is they're losing money on cars. <sighs> it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Um, 2018 mint green GT three. If you're just tuning in for the first time, I don't even know where to start with this car. You have to go back in the archives and listen. There's so many stories about this car, but it was most recently at Audi Jacksonville and they had it up on Mannheim, the wholesale site looking to offload it. I believe they paid 193 at auction. Again, on not what? knowing the story. <laughs> well, so the the previous wholesaler who had it, so is it McLaren Charlotte? They had like a two point seven CR, something abysmal. Then a wholesaler bought it. They got it re CR'd for like four point one, which I thought was a little shady, but whatever. They sold it via auction. Then Audi Jacksonville went to put it up on Mannheim again because they couldn't sell it because everybody else knew the story except them. And it was like a 2.3 CR. I'm like, well, it's backward. It should be. Uh, for those of you that don't know, CR is short for condition report and it's out of five. So like, uh, it's kind of like a hotel room. Below four, you probably will leave with bed bugs or you know some sort of virus. And that's kind of the same thing with used cars at the auction below four CR might, you might get sick from them or a rash. Um, 2.3 is abysmal. And yeah, so Audi Jacksonville ended up with it. So they, the lowest I saw it for an OVE was 185. So they're willing to take a loss and I don't know what happened to it. Because it is no longer on their website. Carfax doesn't show any ownership change, which doesn't mean anything because dealerships can just keep attaching reassignment sheets and you never know who owns it. But it is disappeared for the moment. So if anyone has any hot tips on where it is now, love to find out. I'm really interested where that car finds like a permanent home. Um, that still just seems like a ton of money for that. Like I, I don't would, pay too much attention to nine and one GT three prices cause I can't afford one, <laughs> but that just seems bananas for what that car has been through. It's a paint to sample car and it's a manual nine, nine, one dot two GT three with buckets. So it would be two twenty if it didn't have a story. Gotcha. I mean, I love the color. So it's it's a decent discount. But if the first person that had it was honest about the story and gave a reasonable discount, like if if you if you break the story, you control the narrative. So if they had put it out there and said, "Hey, yeah, this guy who went crazy owned it. They did a wide body conversion. They pulled the seats. We put no new OEM seats back on. We put new fenders on, and we painted it." Big whoop. Control the narrative. They probably would have been able to sell it and only discount it like 10%. But everybody along the line, everybody along the line, tried to cover it up. And now, it blew up on the internet. 
So whoever's stuck with it from a dealer standpoint has to discount it significantly more. I think it's probably a fine car. I don't think they ever, I don't know if they replace the fenders or not, or if they just like welded them in. But from everything I've heard from people is it was a really crappy repair job. Like, and the photos I've seen of it too, like you can see overspray in a lot of places. So at some point I'm going to see this car in person and like actually get to see what the heck they did to it. But, but it also, if you buy it, you have a paint to sample manual 991.2 that you can absolutely thrash. Right. If you want to, I would buy it and paint it a different color. What? Mint green is so good. No, it's not. Oh, it's, it's so good. No, it's a really bad color. People oh. only like it because it's paint to sample and it's a vintage color. Like, I'd paint it burgundy because it doesn't matter that it's paint to sample, right? The premium that one would pay for paint to sample is erased because of the story of the car. Oh, yeah. I mean, if half of it's been repainted, it's... Right. Who cares? So I just paint it whatever freaking color I wanted. I'd, I'd, I'd do a Porsche art car. Oh, you could do like what Volkswagen did with the Golf. Make a 911 Harlequin or something. Just different color body panels. Mm. All like weird paint to sample colors. Has been done. Not with a Porsche. Somebody did it with a Audi R8. Yeah, I could see that. With some like silly wrap. There's a couple older 911 art cars that sold on Bring a Trailer last year, earlier this year. They're like 911 SCs. They were pretty cool. Some guy did like four of them. And I don't know. They, they were cool. Celebrity Machines is a proud sponsor of SwitchCast. Celebrity Machines offers more than 250 different screen-accurate license plates as they appeared in movies and TV shows like Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, The Fast and the Furious, Breaking Bad, and so many more. Celebrity Machines also makes our dealer insert plates as well as our commemorative 2539 plates from the fastest cannonball run ever. If you're looking for a gift for somebody you like or for garage art for your own place, check out CelebrityMachines.com for more info and use promo code SWITCHCAST for a 25.39% discount at checkout. Again, go to CelebrityMachines.com and use discount code SWITCHCAST. Nathan's Detailing is a proud sponsor of SWITCHCAST. Nathan's Detailing is a company in Cleveland, Ohio that provides mobile detailing services for individuals and dealerships. They also offer PPF and ceramic coating installations. With over 800 Google reviews and an impressive 4.9 star rating, Nathan's Detailing is the go-to shop for all of your detailing and protection needs. With Nathan's, convenience is key. Their mobile detailing technicians bring the power, water, and supplies to your home or work and detail your car on site. Check out the link in our description for free interior fabric protection or leather conditioning with your purchase. At Nathan's Detailing, this smiles for you. If you're just joining us, or if you have been joining us and you've been standing beside your touchtone phone just waiting to call in, the number is 216-294-4124, or you can post your calls, your calls, your comments in the flow of wherever you're watching live, and we will address them if they're worth, worth addressing. Something to be aware of this coming weekend. 
all the cannonballers on the planet, well, most of them anyway, are going to be at the Great Marks Concour in Westbury, Old, Old Westbury Gardens, Long Island. The Great Marks Concours takes place on Sunday, but on Saturday they're going to have a special cannonball day where they will have a display of the cannonball record cars, uh, the current ones, so Alex Roy's M5 and Arnie's E63 and S6, as well as cars that ran in the original 70s race uh, and a couple winning cars. So the the Yates Gurney Daytona is going to be there. Uh, Jack May's Dino that won in 75 will be there. I believe Brock Yates' Challenger is going to be there. There are going to be some really, really incredible cannonball cars there. I think the Cannonball Run movie Countach will be there as well. Um, quite a display, plus a lot of the cars that maybe you haven't heard of, but it's, uh, uh, you know, like Sean Petter's diesel, um, Passat record car, some of the cars that ran in the C2C Express, some of the vintage cars. So there's going to be a, a whole smattering of, of cannonball cars across the board. And your favorite cannonballers like Arnie and Ed Bolian and Alex Roy and myself and some of the original 70s guys are going to be there. We're going to have a panel discussion, and then the uh, the record cars will be featured as well in the Cannonball Circle on Sunday during the Concourse. So come by this weekend anytime, Saturday or Sunday, to the Great Marks Concourse and uh, meet your heroes and me. <laughs> See what I did there. Uh, Mark Spence will be there in all his glory. <laughs> You'll be able to hear him from a distance. Uh, yeah. So yeah, come on out. We're excited. We're really, really excited. I'm, I'm excited because I get to meet my heroes, right? So the guys that I read about in Brock Gates's book, Cannonball, 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 the movies, Cannonball, Ron, the book is Cannonball that I read about that inspired me to do this, that, that gave me that addiction those guys are going to be there. They did this when it was crazy, when there was a 55-mile-an-hour speed limit. Uh, I'm really, really excited to hear their stories, to see those cars. Um, it's it's going to be fantastic. Back to the car market. I asked my buddy Chris Benvy to call in. He's a fellow cannonballer, but he also is the digital marketing manager the marketing manager for uh boston sports cars and the company that owns them has like i don't know a dozen different franchises ferrari maserati dealers and so he is very much in the thick of the market i'm a small time guy that just kind of pays attention and reads a lot but he's seeing a lot of data and we had a good discussion this morning on the car market and what he's seeing in terms of values Receding, and so I wanted to get his input. So I asked him to call in, and he is on the line now. Chris, thanks for spending time with me. Of course, nice uh, segue with the cannonball stuff this weekend <laughs> to uh, to me. I That's right. Will that. you will you be there, even though you're not a record holder? <laughs> oh, you know, I uh, nothing like being a bridesmaid to you. Um, but um, yeah, it's uh, all, all we respect. Will be there. Yes, yes. We we will be there. Um, 
the S8 and the M5 that we took across both cars are uh, are, are since sold. Um, but I have something exciting that I will I will bring down for you guys all to see. And my uh, the guys that were on the first run, uh, Chris Durden and Matt Freed, with us uh, when we did our 2643. We we will be there, but uh, nice. we look we look forward to seeing everyone there. Is the something um, exciting a 991 turbo that you've built to to break our record? <clears throat> no, that mine went down on a. Uh, Mine was very broken on a ship. Uh, actually, I think uh, Ed Bolian and is going to have that on Vinwicky very soon. That story about that whole thing. But um, yeah, it's uh, mine went down uh, not in the ocean with the first boat, um, but it actually was uh, destroyed on a boat that was coming across while the first boat was burning um, and had to be, you know, reordered. So I won't see that until Q1. And no, I didn't buy it to beat your record i bought it to put my daughter in the back of so my but i do have something exciting for you sweet um that being said yeah you kind of introduced me uh i'm chris benvy i'm the director of marketing for the mcgovern automotive group we operate uh 20 dealerships 18 are franchised two are independents uh in the northeast and um i do a little bit of high-end car buying as well uh, for a couple of our dealerships, uh, namely Boston Motorsports right uh, in Boston, Massachusetts. I can never um, get your, your name right because there's like Boston Sports Car and Boston Motor Car and Boston Motorsports. I never remember which one you are. Um, yeah, it, and as far as uh, doing business as is concerned is we're Alfa Romeo and Maserati Motorsports of Boston. <laughs> so nice. It's a little confusing, but... Uh, I figured yep. I'd, I'd add a shameless plug there. I think being from New England, you really ought to rename the the group and and just lean into your New Englandness and just call it McGovern's. <laughs> yeah, I know. We all have uh, some pretty good accents from up there, but you know, I've I've moved around the country so much, my accent you'll you'll hear it come out, but it's it's a little. Um, you still have a Boston accent. Point. I grew up in Maine. I do not have an <laughs> accent. You absolutely have an accent. <laughs> Well, um, you know, it's funny. We, we were chatting this morning about a plethora of things, uh, namely uh, this weekend's event in Long Island, which actually uh, one of our dealerships, Ferrari of Long Island, is sponsoring. So we're, we're pretty excited correct. about you that. correct. You are, yes. <clears throat> um, but, uh, you know, we also, of course, got off on one of our usual what's the market doing tangents. And I think we started, I think we were talking a little bit about the late model Porsche market and some of the late model SUV stuff, correct? Yeah, yeah. So what I'm observing generally uh, is the correction is is segmented, um, not just across types of vehicles, but across, I guess, niche markets, right? So you have like the five or less year old stuff, then you have the older stuff that I kind of trade in, you have the real oddball limited stuff, the Lotus Exige, the Porsche GT3s, you know, Lamborghini stick Murcielagos, Diablos, you know, stick Ferraris. And then you have the the luxury stuff, the you know, the Mercedes AMGs, the the uh, you know, the Porsche Taycans and stuff like that. Um and then you have the run of the mill car. So what are you seeing? You deal a lot more with late model stuff than I do, and a lot more of the the high dollar luxury stuff. What are you seeing in the last few months? in your dealerships i mean we're definitely seeing major corrections um on the high-end stuff uh your middle of the and when i say high-end stuff uh your g-wagons your lamborghini urises your 
Lamborghini Huracan Evos, uh, some Porsche product. Um, on the mid-range stuff, the you know the Ford F-150s, the you know Toyota Tacomas, Toyota Camrys. There's not much correction there. Um, there's still a very very large backlog of people that are trying to purchase those vehicles, and you can't seem to make enough of them. Right. Uh, so you know that that is definitely not seeing a correction. Uh, where we are seeing a correction is. Um, you know, the, the perfect example, and I think one of the last times we spoke on this podcast, we talked about the G-Wagon market. And <clears throat> if I tell you, there were people paying 100,000, people, dealers, paying $100,000 over sticker as recently as January for 2021 G63s. Um, and that market has corrected so heavily um, that you're now seeing, you know, thirty to $50,000, depending upon spec, miles, so on and so forth over sticker so, so and that's that a that's a market, 200k sticker right so they're paying th- uh, 300 yeah, figuring well you're anywhere from 170 to 190 okay uh, on a g63 depending upon you know color leather all that kind of stuff so right? 50k so, correction on 300 is almost 20 percent uh yeah yep, yeah that's correct so that's that's that, significant that's a, that's a that's a major number, um, and it's not shocking to me, right? You know, it's how many people are willing to spend three hundred thousand dollars on a glorified military vehicle? I mean, it's just, <laughs> let's 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 call it what it is. Yeah, they they, they spruced it up in twenty twenty with a you know a new dash and some uh, refined things. But I mean, I've driven these things. I drove them all last winter as a demo, and um, they're cool. Don't get me wrong, but man, they are not exactly the uh, the most comfortable thing to be in. Uh, I think they look cool, uh, but that's about it. And, you know, the appetite of people to spend that kind of money, uh, has gone away. You know, remember a year ago, there was lots of free money out there, whether it was in the form of, uh, uh, you know, PPP dollars. Uh, remember these cars are 6,000 pound GVWR, so they are right off. Um, and accelerated uh, depreciation. Exactly. And then, um, We're seeing unintentional secondly, yeah. accelerated depreciation now. <laughs> right. And then, you know, you get you finance them at 2%. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it, it was kind of the perfect storm, similar to the housing market. Um, but I, the, the, it really was dealer hot potato and dealer speculation. It was really dealers, dealer-to-dealer sales that were driving the prices up. I mean, there, there are a couple dealers out there that has, still have a large number of them that they bought, and they're a very, very long end. You, so you don't have to name the dealer, but you told me this morning you knew a dealer that had 60 G63s? One, as of 60 days ago, they had 80. I believe they're down to about 60. Um, and those were all purchased at the height. Those were all, yeah, those were all purchased at the height of the market. So, you know, and, and again, oh. you know, they've in a way kind of controlled the marketplace. But, you know, it's still, again, you can still, you can go buy that car for a lot less at any auction tomorrow. So, um, that is, uh, that definitely hurts. And, you know, the the other one that has been interesting is the Lamborghini Urus. Um, you know, uh, they're still expensive, uh, but they're not what they were. I mean, there was a time that, you know, the dealers were paying 320 to 330,000 for a 2021 with, you know, 2000 or less miles. And that same car today rolls through the auction for about 375 to 385. 
So again, you're talking about another fifty, you know, forty to fifty thousand dollar correction on a you know high end luxury SUV. The one thing I'll say about the Urus is they're still sold out for two years, and you know, window sticker somewhere around two hundred fifty grand. Dealers paying around two hundred eighty grand. You're still going to pay fifty grand over sticker if you want one, right. um, unless you're willing to wait for two years. And and that's kind of the thing where it's. You know, um, a lot of people think these all these dealers are marking these cars up. They're really not. <laughs> it, it, you know, all of these dealers are paying way over sticker as well just to get them because there is demand for them. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's another uh, really big example um, from the high-end market. And um, luxury sedans are back doing what luxury sedans do. They are <laughs> depreciating. Uh, S-classes, 7 Series um uh, audi a8 you know those cars for a while people were paying over sticker for and i mean you want a one-year-old twenty thousand mile seven series you're you can save yourself about 40 grand again so yeah. you know there there is some there is some edge in the marketplace on on certain things and and those seem to correct very very quickly it seems like the commodity luxury cars <clears throat> are correcting yes whereas they are. the niche market stuff it is a little bit here and there but not totally. Um, no, you, you know, you're, you know, there was a time where if someone offered me a Lamborghini Huracan Evo for 50 grand over sticker. I would be tripping over myself um, to buy it because it was such a deal. Uh, and, and now it's, um, you know, 25, 30 grand over. So, so even those have corrected, um, but it's still over only, sticker for a Lamborghini like still, that. Right, let's put still, this in perspective. Right. So I, Yep. In 2020, I went to look at a client's G63, and I think I offered him sticker, and he like almost took it, but he got five or ten over. So, like, the term "new normal" in a sense applies. I hate that term because of what it represented for you know the pandemic and and all the rules imposed on us, but. I think it definitely applies that we're correcting to a new normal. This is not going to be a reset to, to 2019. Would well, you agree? You know, there, there's, yeah. So uh, I'm kind of giving away my, my, one of my VinWiki stories, but, um, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but again, I mean, this is, this is pretty common. You can, you can, you can research this anywhere. I think we sold 11 million new vehicles in 2020, right? And I believe in 2018, we sold 17 million new vehicles, and we as, a, as an industry, right? Yeah, not, not, so, not McGovernors. <clears throat> no, no, I, I wish we did. That would be fantastic. But, um, but we did not. Uh, we, we run a great business. We sell a lot of cars, but not that many. Um, so what I would say is, is, think about that for a second. You went, there's 6 million less cars in the mar- that, that were sold. That means in three years, there's six million less cars. Now, not everyone leased their car, right? But there's that many less cars that are coming off of lease return. Mm-hmm. There's that many less people that are going to have cars they need to trade out of that are two to three years old, right? Um, now, remember, 2021, I think we sold an additional million from 2020 or million and a half, whatever it was. So, again, in 2023, 2024, those cars aren't coming off lease either. So, on the used car market side, especially for your run-of-the-mill, bread-and-butter type stuff, you know, and I, when I say that, I say, you know, your thirty dollars to $80,000 cars, right? Those cars, there's going to be half of them available for the near future of what we are used to seeing. 
So it's going to keep prices elevated. There, those cars yep. aren't being reproduced. They just never happened. They were never built. They were never sold. So you're not going to see them come back in the marketplace. But what you are going to see is the people that bought cars in 2016, 2017, 2018 as their five-year warranty, six-year warranties are up, are looking to purchase another pre-owned vehicle or, or, or new vehicle or whatever, and they're finding, oh, my God, you know, I can't find anything that fits the $400 a month payment I had. I got to pay double that. So, you know, even those cars aren't going to be coming into the marketplace. So when everyone talks about a big automotive market correction, I just don't see it happening short of another major world catastrophe, which, I mean, who the hell knows at this point. Right. But um, I just don't well, see and that it happening might because... make the market go up. <laughs> right, exactly, right? So yeah. from an economic standpoint, you know, from a supply and demand standpoint, the supply is not going to be there for a while. And, and I'll tell you, the automotive manufacturers are having a really difficult time getting parts, not, not just chips, getting parts, because they're having a hard time getting labor. And yeah. it's... Um, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, every car that we have, we sell, unless it's, you know, there's one or two brands that I will not mention in public that uh, just seem to sit. Uh, but anyone else can figure that one out by looking at any of our websites. But, you know, if it's a Hyundai, if it's a Toyota, if it's a Ford, if it's a Chevy, they're gone. I mean, you are. So if you want to buy a car, you got to call the dealer, tell them what you're looking for, and they'll take a look at their allocation and let you know when might one might come in and you probably need to put a deposit and reserve it. And it's, it's such a weird place to be as a consumer where it used to be able to, you know, go in and choose from one of 12. It's just a very weird place to be. Yeah. Yeah. What differences do you see between now the correction we're experiencing and the 2008, 2010 <clears throat> debacle? So, so, in 2008 to 2010, I actually worked for Kelly Blue Book. That's where I was. I was with Auto Trader and Kelly Blue Book at the time. So I definitely had a different perspective on that whole marketplace. Um, you know, that was um, a very difficult time for dealers because they weren't set up for it. They were um, really, really staff heavy. Um, they were really, really expense heavy. At the time, most OEMs were having them go through facility upgrades. That seemed like that, like, 2005 to 2012 time frame was you need to upgrade your facility or you're, you know, you're, you're, you're going to be fine. You're not going to get as much allocation there was a lot of that going on. So expenses were higher than ever. And they hadn't quite figured out how to, uh, run mean. What we've all kind of figured out over the last couple of years is, is how to run mean. And I don't mean that from a labor perspective. I think our, I think our, job list right now for our 21 dealerships i think we have 120 open positions so i mean we we need people right yeah um but what we found is is we don't have to spend as much on advertising uh we don't have to spend as much on floor plan interest um there's just a number of things that we don't have to spend as much money on but we also don't have the revenues that we necessarily want because there's not as many cars coming in now right so um the difference is is we are set up better as an industry this is not just a uh, our automotive group this is a an industry-wide thing that we are set up better from an, extent, an expense standpoint to weather the storm. As for the consumer, it's really just how much more can the consumer take for overpaying? I mean, it's whether you're buying gas, whether you're buying food, whether you're you know uh, looking to go on vacation, 
um, it's everything is more expensive. You mm-hmm. want to go buy a car, it's more expensive. So really, at this point, it's when do the consumers say, you know what, I'm done overpaying for cars, I'm done overpaying for interest rates, and I'm stopping buying. We just haven't seen it let up yet. We really have not. I mean, yes, overall prices have come down a little bit. Uh, yes, you know, the over sticker for everything is not what it once was. That, that seemed to have halved itself. Um, but consumers still are But it's are still over money. sticker. But not for everything. Um, you know, you're no, not but in general, sticker. like that wasn't even a discussion yeah. three years ago for, in for any right. new car because, other than maybe right. Ferraris, a few GT Porsches, and that's it. Yeah. We're yeah. talking and, about and, it and remember, as a ubiquitous term. Right. And remember, they made way less GT cars and way less Ferraris than they do today. But there's also way more people with money today, or I think they have money today, um, that will buy those cars versus then. And the labor market, as of right now, is still really strong. I mean, uh, unemployment's relatively low. There's still a lot of available jobs out there where, if I recall, during that time, a lot of people were being laid off. People were losing their homes, couldn't afford their bills. It, Mm -hmm. It was really tough. So I just think, in general, you know, I think I read something that uh, Americans have more money in their savings account right now than they ever have, like in the history of, of tracking such a thing. So, you know, that was not a thing in 2008, 2009, 2010. People were moving in with their, with their friends and with their family because they mm-hmm. were losing their homes. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's very true. So I, I know you are a very Porsche centric guy and uh, I'm sure you have a lot of uh, listeners or, or viewers, depending upon what, how they're consuming this. Um, and we definitely are seeing a little bit of a, of a um, correction in the Porsche market. Mm-hmm. And when I say correction, uh, uh, you know, let's, that's a relative term, uh, you know, paying a hundred thousand dollars over window sticker for a GT three, uh, eight months ago, uh, was pretty normal, um, for a pre-owned one with a thousand miles on it. Um, you know, that's maybe 75, 80 grand now. So we've seen a little correction there. And that I think has more to do with, there's more in the marketplace, uh, less to do with, you know, what's going on economically. Um, and there was a, a while there where Cayennes and Macans were, you know, over sticker pre-owned and we're just really not seeing that, uh, with the exception of like the Cayenne Turbo GT uh, and, you know, so maybe some PPS or special color Macans, but you're just not seeing it on, on that side anymore either. Um, you know, dealers, I'm sure, are going to try to ask for it, but uh, from a used car perspective, it's, it's not quite as, as, as crazy as it once was. And, yeah. Um, well, the reality you know, is still that, that, you know, it takes 18 to 24 months to order a new 911. So, uh, I mean, hey, that's it, going it, it, to and, and prop that, the used prices up no matter what. Correct. Correct. Um, so, um, you know, it's it's very uh, <laughs> it's very uh, weird uh, as someone who has a 911 on order uh, that I ordered in August of 2021. It got here. It got here smashed um, <laughs> from the boat. And then uh, now I won't see it till 2023. But even on the Cayenne side, um, we ordered my wife uh, a Cayenne e-hybrid in uh, September of 2021, and uh, that car uh, still has yet to be built. Um, it's uh, I won't probably we won't we won't see that that car until March of 2023. 
So that's 18 months on a Cayenne. 18 yeah. months on a Cayenne. Now, yeah. it was a relatively specific car, but at the end of the day, it's still 18 months for an SUV. Yeah. I've been waiting uh, a year or so to buy an excursion from a buddy of mine who won't sell it to me until his new Super Duty comes in that he ordered. And it's well, been in luck. production for like a year. Like a, eight months ago, he goes, oh, yeah, it's slated for shipping. I was like, okay, cool. And then it wasn't. Yeah. And here we are eight months yeah. later, and he doesn't have a VIN number. So, like, yeah. Yeah, it's an issue. Yeah, and that's going to continue to be um, an issue. So um, unless people just decide they don't need cars anymore, the market's going to stay reasonably strong. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think, you know, that's the thing. We still are waiting a year for cars. And, you know, and, and because we're waiting a year for cars, there aren't many new cars being sold like there were in 2017, 18, and even 19. So, you know, this pre-owned market overall, with the exception of some really major outliers, continues to be, you know, overly strong uh, and still pretty heavily inflated. And, you know, I just don't see it changing anytime soon. Um, we know, we know the OEMs are, you know, relatively happy. They want to sell more cars, but they're not heavily incentivizing their cars anymore. So even they are, you know, on a per unit basis, basis, a lot more profitable than they've ever been. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I haven't, other than Alfa Romeo in Maserati, I have not seen a rebate. Uh, on a car, um, you know, uh, in a very long time. And we used to always say, uh, you know, a rebate is just an apology for pricing the car incorrectly <laughs> in the first place. Um, but uh, why, why you know, can't but, they? But still, you, you should say that about ADMs. Uh, people get, know, people it, love their rebates, but they get bent out of shape about ADMs. And I'm like, they just priced it incorrectly. What's the big deal? So, so let me. Uh, so <laughs> I, I, I'm choosing my words very carefully. There are issues in some states where the attorney generals um, in, in whatever state you're in are pushing the dealer body on, you know, you're charging over sticker, this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, there's that whole S in uh, MSRP uh, suggested. Um, and not in our state, but I've seen in some states down south. Uh, where the dealer body is pushing back and saying, okay, cool. Well, can we come to you from all the times we took $10,000 off an F-150? <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, right. Going the other direction. So, so there's a very weird, you know, you're, as a dealer, it's, um, it's a very, you're just in a really frustrating place because you want to do the right thing for the consumer. You also got to pay your bills and keep the lights on. And then, you know, on the service side as well, you have lots of unhappy customers because parts are taking forever. Maybe they bought a new car two months ago, but you know, something broke and you can't get that part for six months, but you don't have a loaner car that's equal to or better than the one they were driving or even have a loaner car at all. So you put them in a rental and I mean, it's, we're definitely in a weird position where, you know, we're getting beat up. Um, uh, the dealers are getting beat up and, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't think anyone's got any sympathy for car dealers, but we're doing our best. I don't even, but at least happy. on the over sticker stuff, these crotchety old guys that are complaining about ADMs and how dealers are evil. I'm like, bro, I guarantee you, you asked for a discount on your Equinox. So, uh, yeah, and, and you know, the. The, the, right now, the consumers, if you bought a car right and you want to sell it, I mean, you are benefiting. You know, you're, you're benefiting more than you ever have. 
Um, you know, if you, if you were one of the lucky people that bought a, a GT car from Porsche, um, you know, at sticker before they tacked on that you have to keep this for a year or you'll never get another Porsche GT car again. Um, you know, if you were one of those guys, I mean, you're, you're standing to make a ton of money and, you know, uh, same thing, Maserati MC20, that that's another car right now that, you know, if you were able to get one of those before you had to sign that, you know, no flip document, uh, you know, those guys making 50, 60,000 and same mm-hmm. thing with Ferrari guys too. And, you know, it's, um, the consumer, uh, right now can on, in most brands on most cars can probably make more money flipping their own car, um, than the dealer made on the car. Yep. It's, uh, it's just, it's just the way it is. Yep. Um, and I, and, and I can't fault anyone, uh, for doing that. We're happy to sell them another car. <laughs> you know, uh, it's just, if, if, <laughs> if, if, you we have can it. Get it, if we can get it for them. Right. Correct. Correct. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Chris, for your insight. Uh, it's appreciated as always. And it's just always fun to talk to a new Englander and, uh, look forward to seeing you this weekend. <laughs> look forward to seeing the surprise. I really hope it's not a new record car. Cause that would, uh, yeah, no, no, <laughs> No, no, I, uh, but, uh, I would, I would let you know, I would let you know if I was going to try again, but is it I a clone? My, uh, is it a clone of the 72 Daytona, but made from a Ferrari F12? No, I just got, I brought another silver passenger car. So now was a third one. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but anyways, um, uh, you'll, you'll see. And we, uh, we look forward to seeing you. Awesome. Yeah. I, I can't wait to hang out with you guys. So. All Thanks, right. Doug. You guys enjoy the rest of the podcast. Thanks for having me on. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yep. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. So for those of you that don't know, Chris is one of the Boston Brawlers. They have never owned the top spot in Cannonball, but they have three of the top five fastest times of all time. Uh, all three of their runs are sub-27 hours, and one of them is sub-26 hours. So they are very very formidable cannonballers and they will be at the event this weekend um, and uh, it's going to be a great time we're happy to have nuts for sticks as a sponsor of switchcast nuts for sticks is a fantastic merchandise site where you can get t-shirts car related t-shirts that usually also have dad jokes and puns on them they have a great selection of high quality t-shirts there so go check them out at nutsforsticks.com and use discount code switchcast for 10 percent off your entire order again that's nutsforsticks.com discount code switchcast switchcast is brought to you by boxcast Boxcast is a live streaming company based in Cleveland, Ohio, and they serve broadcasters and viewers around the world. Their founders launched Boxcast back in 2013 with one purpose, to make people part of the experience. If you're looking to live stream your podcast, church service, car show, sporting event, your wedding, or even your cannonball attempt, Boxcast is an easy, flexible live streaming platform for organizations and individuals. Boxcast is so easy, we're broadcasting this from a phone. Head over to switchcars.com slash boxcast for your free trial. Again, it's switchcars.com slash boxcast for your free trial. All right, Tyler, what do we have for questions? All right, we got a few here. So starting from the top, Mark N. Uh, hi, Doug. My 06 hi, Porsche Mark came in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if we want. I got full names here. I don't know if Ethan's trying to dock somebody, but I'm not trying to give full names out. Okay. Uh, on my 06 Porsche Cayman S, the shifter is a bit tough to get into second gear. Is this common, or do I have a synchro going bad? 
a bit tough, eh? Uh, I don't know. Probably cooked it too much, but it's like a steak. Did you see that connection? Yes. But I'm. I'm sad that I laughed. I, I need to stop in, like, tough, enforcing your behavior. Tough? How? Like, does it grind or is it just hard to get in? That's what she said. Um, I don't know. I really don't know. I guys tell me all the time that their Porsche is hard to get into first gear and. They're trying to put it in at 25 miles an hour. I'm like, no, you have to come to a complete stop. Typically with a synchro issue, at least in my experience, you get like grinding. You get noises. You get the, the cars telling you something's wrong. Um, tough. I don't know. I've learned how to shift. It could be a linkage issue. It could be uh, anything. I've had cars grind into gear and they, you know, it was a bad gearbox. I've had cars grind into gear the exact same way, and all it needed was the linkage adjusted because, you know, fourth was where reverse should have been. So uh, that's a, a really bad question to have the internet diagnosed because they're going to have all sorts of opinions that mean nothing at all. And somehow, if you go on Renlist, your IMS bearing is going to be going bad. That's that's <laughs> very true. That's very true. That's related to the tough second gear. Um, yeah, I would... Um, yeah, maybe some WD-40 down in there, but uh, not really. They'd be careful where you spray that. <laughs> Just <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. <laughs> Q wants to know, uh, what's your favorite car in inventory right now and why? What's my favorite car in inventory? I mean, right now I'm staring at a Krypton Green Exige that under the lights looks like fluorescent. It is sick. And I can't stop looking at it, and the shape's amazing. So you guys think I'm looking at you on the camera, and really I'm just looking through the camera at the Succeige because it's pretty sick. So I don't know if that's my favorite, but I'm staring at it, and it's a great view. So something about Krypton Green. It's such a good color. I didn't realize until I saw it in some sunlight that it's metallic a little mm-hmm. bit. Like, you don't normally see it unless you're mm-hmm. looking at it at the right angle and right whatever, but it's it's a good color. All right, Eric wants to know, what's your take on Elon's tweet about gasoline cars losing massive value in the upcoming years? Teslas aren't going to either? Like, related to what? Related to the market correction, or? Well, also, I want, is he talking about general cars? Because I'm pretty sure appliances will lose value, but the stuff that we're surrounded by and the stuff we care about is probably going to stay expensive. It's such a general, like, you can't... Tweets are stupid for like, all right, we back to you the can beginning just stop of what there. we talked about. <laughs> Monocausality. When you assign one cause to a major market shift, tweets don't even do that. They just throw out a statement and don't explain it or anything. So yeah, cars are going to lose value, but so are friggin' Teslas because the oh, luxury God, yeah. car market is going down. But like, unless government intervenes and like, makes gas so prohibitively expensive that then people have to find alternatives like that they're they're only going to go down in value if there's um outside artificial manipulation of the marketplace if the government stayed out of it and stopped giving tax rebates to people buying evs stopped taxing the crap out of gasoline stopped regulating stuff 
and allowed the free market to decide, then EVs would freaking tank in value. So whatever, Elon, you're not listening, fine, I don't care. But the only reason your cars have a hope of having any demand with their crappy freaking interior for 150,000 bucks and garbage ranges, like, is because the government's pushing this stuff. Like, otherwise, you would never in a million years buy a Tesla over a Mercedes AMG. Never. So. I like Salty Doug. Yeah. It's a good time. Well. <laughs> All right, a completely different question. William wants to know, how do you stay young? How do I stay young? That is, that's what I'm reading. I feel like I'm the oldest 37-year-old on the planet. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm losing my hair. My joints suck. Uh, my knees hurt. I can't stand up on concrete for more than 30 minutes without having... Like, literally, I'll go to a party or something at, a, at a, somebody's warehouse or whatever. I'm the guy looking for a chair. It's like friggin' Rosa Parks would get up out of her seat and let me sit down because she'd see how much pain I was in and feel bad for me. That's yeah, I'm I'm a friggin' old man. I'm legit worried that I'm not gonna be able to drive stick in ten years because my knee cracks and does all sorts of things. It's Ew. yeah. My parents did always young. tell me that getting old is not for the faint of heart. So I'm not trying to consider thirty seven old, but Yeah, having a faint heart doesn't allow you to get old either. That you're missing your drum set. Is it even here anymore? <laughs> it's over there. I okay. can't reach it. All right. Squiggy Wiggins wants to know, uh, what kind of watch are you wearing and what's your favorite watch? Watches, computers, radio control, musical instruments. All us car guys love these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My favorite watch is the one that tells time, but no, that's not really. Um, I'm not a watch guy per se, but I've become one. Thanks to John Sabo, my good buddy. I'm currently wearing a Signum watch. It's a like micro brand out of Europe. And um, it has like they use meteorite, whatever stones for the, the dial. And I think it's pretty cool because it like changes colors. It's like blue and purple. And they use, uh, what do they use? Japanese, I think Omega movements. Something it's pretty high quality stuff. Um, they're automatic watches, and they're like five hundred bucks plus minus. So it's I don't know. I I really like their styling. So that's the one I wear sometimes. Uh, my favorite one is my Rolex Sub Hulk because that was the first like crazy watch I ever bought, and it was just like I don't know. I never thought I'd own a Rolex. I never even wanted to own one because I saw like the, the silver and gold ones that realtors all wore. And it just like, it felt like it was a stereotypical, like, you know, it, it went with the territory. A realtor drove a Tahoe and had a silver and gold Rolex. And I'm like, I don't, it was always a date just or whatever. I'm just like, I don't, it's not me. I'm not trying to show off, but I like the Rolex Hulk. Because I like it. I don't care what anyone thinks. And I can prove it because I bought it at a discount. I bought it below MSRP when nobody else cared about them. So you're also a hipster. No, I'm a watch <laughs> snob because I say I'm a better watch guy than other watch guys because I'm not in it for you, the clout. I do feel like, coming from... I don't wear watches. I don't really care. All of the watch game seems like clout. 
I guess people could look at the car game out from like the outside and feel like it's all clout too. So it's probably the same thing. I don't follow anyone on Instagram that like posts their watches and even car guys that post their watches occasionally. I'm like, ah, I kind of want to unfollow you. Oh, like the dudes in the Audis that got to do the photo with like the hand on the steering wheel going down the highway at 90 with their watch like showing. Like, yeah. I don't flex. digitally hang out with those people. Yeah, it's not, not a thing. <laughs> All right, Dennis wants to know what's the best cheap project car these days. Uh, the one that you can buy cheap is any project <laughs> car cheap? No, <laughs> they're all expensive. Uh, the best cheap project car is a 1964 Ford Thunderbird Harlequin. Why edition. is that still here? It's, I don't know. Twenty five hundred bucks, freaking take it away. Uh, LS swap it. That w- that would be amazing. I feel like no matter what, you're just going to... Project car is always just going to be a hole for money. So, like, there is no cheap project car. It depends. It depends. The one that you can buy for half of value. I mean, honestly, you have to buy a project car sh- so cheap, to your point. Like, because you're going to be in the hole. It all, the, 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 a car always costs less than the sum of its parts. So, if you're putting all new parts on a car, you're going to be in it double what just buying a clean car would be. So I guess the best cheap project car is the one that you enjoy working on and can come away with a story and an yeah. experience because it's going to cost you. Some bond or something with the car. All right. William wants to know, what are your thoughts on the 22 AMG GLE 53 Coupe? Uh, you lost me at GLE. It's just a lot of stuff. I don't, you I also could not even picture it. 22. I, I just don't care about new cars. They're so, no. they're so appliances, even the performance cars, like it's all turbos and like AMG has stuck their badge on everything. You can buy a crossover that's an AMG and it's like, wh- is this even a performance car? Like the AMG I know and remember is like, let's freaking stuff a supercharged V8 into a sedan. Well, yeah, I remember. And like- do burnouts because it's rear wheel drive. And you would watch Top Gear and just Jeremy Clarkson would be going sideways for the entire segment because it was yes. impossible to keep straight. Like, yeah. that's I what an AMG should be. I don't know what a GLE is body style. I think it's a crossover. Is that the like coupe yes, SUV it's thing? The, it's the freaking, it's what the soccer mom's nanny drives. Yeah, I can't, I don't know. <sighs> no. No, don't care. I know. I'm going to ask my own question here. How do you feel about the Ferrari poor sandwich or whatever the heck they're calling it <laughs> poor sandwich <laughs> i don't know i hate the name it's it's the yeah uh i i just i don't care right like those car companies i the cayenne is a good car but i wish porsche didn't make it and i i, I bought a volkswagen Touareg because it was a porsche cayenne for 15 grand less and not a porsche Ferrari is a luxury car, not a luxury. Ferrari is not a luxury car maker. They are a a dream maker, right? Like, like, do you think somebody's gonna put that on their Enzo wall? Enzo Ferrari <laughs> would be rolling in his friggin' grave over a Ferrari SUV. The only good thing is it's a V12. I respect that. It's got a ton of power. That's it's a big awesome. V12. Like, yes, that's awesome. But, nah. The whole concept of it is stupid. Lamborghini Urus, same thing. Why would you pay $300,000 for an SUV because it's a Lamborghini? Buy a $400,000 real Lamborghini that has doors that go up and then drive a friggin' 
Volkswagen Atlas, whatever. Yeah, like drive an actual SUV if you need one yeah. or if you want that experience. Yeah. All right, Joseph wants to know, when is the Miata bubble going to burst? <laughs> <laughs> Never, because people love their Miatas. It's always like, the answer. I don't think that is a bubble. Like, that's the, the sub-20K sports cars. That's the only thing left you can buy for a deal. Like Corvette C5, C4s, Miatas, BMW Z3, Z4s, Porsche Boxsters, like... Those cars, in my opinion, aren't going to go down in value at all. Like the ceiling's going to fall, but it's just going to compress, right? The the middle ground, and those cars are going to hold up the bottom because what can you buy for ten grand anymore? Like a good, a good lawnmower. Yeah, I can't think of anything reasonable. Yeah. All right. Uh, Joe also says, uh, they remember your Vin wiki story about your OBS Tahoe and how well they hold value and, uh, some of the details on the market. They drive a pristine 2001 blazer LT in the Midwest. Is there ever going to be a market for these? I don't know. Post it for sale and find out. You got to find one of those like obscure cars for or some random niche group on Facebook. Speaking of random niche group on Facebook. <laughs> The Corvette Buy Sell Trade Facebook group is the best source of entertainment short of the Big Ultima Energy Facebook group. I'm so glad you invited me to that. <laughs> so good. Dude, the, the level of friggin' New Balance anger that is coming out of the boomers on that page is friggin' hilarious. I love it. And it literally just, it's people posting their cars for sale. And it, I mean, granted, okay. They're asking for it with their one of one rare, blah, 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 whatever. But like literally you could post a $40,000 car for 39 grand and everybody will laugh at you and say, you freaking rip off this $30,000 car. It's awesome. But yes, the latest one was a seller who stated that their Corvette and every Corvette is award-winning. Every Corvette is rare. That their car has won many, quote, best of class awards at various event events. What was the class? The wide body C6 class. As a really narrow class, I did not even intend that pun. That just snuck up on me. Wide body C6. So it's literally like your class is Corvette C6, Z06, and ZR1. And I guess Grand Sport. And that's it. Do they also have a narrow body C6 car class? Truthfully, I didn't know that Corvettes had wide body for other than like probably the right. Z06. And like, how do you like, how do you take pride in winning a class with a car that's like five years old? Like those cars shouldn't even be judged. It's essentially a new car. Like I had a guy try to sell me a Porsche Panamera one time. It was like three years old. It, it, it won its class at the Porsche club conquers. I'm like, who even takes a Panamera to a car show? Yeah. Like you leave that in the parking lot. Were there two of them there? Because everybody else said this is a real sports car show. Like it doesn't take much to drive a car off the showroom and go win a Concours. Like anyway, anyway. So uh, one of my viewers uh, runs a large charity event and speaking to the whole like limited class, like Corvettes have their own class for everything. He said, the the Corvette Club wanted to be involved, 
So they called him up and said, well, we're going to bring all these cars, tons of cars, and we want special reserved group parking so we can all park together. And this event has over 500 cars. They brought out a whopping dozen cars after all this hoopla they made. And when the time came for the awards, the Corvette club president made a big stink about how all their cars were so special. And they were like upset that they didn't win awards. So the short show organizer ended up having to create classes for literally each Corvette to get awards. So every single Corvette that showed up at a show of 500, every one of the 12 Corvettes left the show with a meaningless made up trophy that was equally as significant as Dwight Schrute's job title assistant to the regional manager. But yes, your Corvette won an award, so it's worth more. If you want some entertainment, join the Corvette Buy Sell Trade Facebook group. I just, those people just don't have any fun ever, do they? Like, I don't understand not being able to just enjoy your car for what it is. Like, I go to a car show and I park my car, I lock it, and I walk away. Like, I don't, I'm there to see other people or other cars. Like, I don't care. They can only enjoy it if it's rare. Somebody else sent me this photo of a, a placard next to a vet at a car show bullet points for the 2017 production year general motors built 32,792 corvettes that's a big number of which 2,298 were stingray convertibles of those 2,298 stingray convertibles 96 were painted black rose metallic out of those 96 only 11 were exported to canada of those 11 this corvette was the only one ordered with a black roof the qx1 black aluminum wheel options getting really specific and red brake calipers next bullet point according to gm this corvette is a one of one in canada and a rare car I genuinely don't believe I have ever heard somebody brag about having the only Canada car. <laughs> Maybe because I don't go to any Canada car shows, I, but like, because I'm in the US. But I mean, I, you're what? really reaching when you have to go to red calipers. I'm the only one with these four options out of 32,000 cars. I genuinely believe My that. Corvette like Corvette is rarest Corvette <laughs> because GM said so. If you have to go past trim color interior and exterior color and maybe a significant package maybe you're going too far because who cares yeah. you can add the like it, uh, so much anyway next up elon musk is suspicious 43 uh asks what's the best place to sell a completely track converted no interior full row cage 991.1 gt3 uh. are we there <laughs> Renlist? Probably. Uh, racing junk? eBay? Bring a trailer? I don't know about best place. There's lots of good places. Uh, I typically don't try to guess the best place, and I post at 1,800 million places, and then find the buyers. And inevitably, the person I'm selling the car for always comes out and says, well, have you heard of this random obscure website? I think you should post it there too. And I'm like, it's $300 and I'm going after like this tiny niche segment of the market that if they haven't already seen it on every other website I posted on, then they haven't seen it. But anyway, all that to say, post it as many places as you can because you never know which site is going to have the buyer. 
All right, Nick is up next. Uh, they say, wish I was going to the Cannonball reunion. My Fiat X19 wouldn't make it without the side of the road engine swap. Uh, what car are you most excited about seeing there? Uh, all of them. Like, I haven't seen the 72 Daytona. Uh, that's the most significant Cannonball car, probably. I want to see yates's challenger because i think that's the coolest looking cannonball car out of all the ones i've seen from the early era but yeah all of them all of them now that daytona is going to be sweet all right jim uh asks how uh, are the late model oh goodness late porsche models holding up price wise i feel like you kind of covered that maybe yes i think we did i think we did um pretty well small soft correction ish yeah depends on the model but um there's a question from instagram i should get to a couple of these too <laughs> this is a good one speaking of porsches uh j reed 50 said i want a 997.2 so second generation 911 for 55k guys like ryan freeman and all things porsches have ruined the market so uh i might agree with you about the second guy that you spoke about. He's, he's an interesting character, but, um, Ryan Friedman has bought up a lot of the cars, but when we were talking to Chris Benby earlier, right? So that dealer that bought up all the G 63s in order to control the market, you can only really control the market if you're controlling the supply and the demand. So consumers at some point can just say, I don't care if you own 80% of the available cars in this niche, I'm not paying that. So, Ultimately, blaming Ryan Friedman and that other guy for controlling the market on a certain segment of 997s is the same. It's the same line of thinking as blaming dealers and flippers for over sticker prices, right? Like they only charge over sticker if people pay it. So Ryan doesn't control the market. He's taking advantage of it. He may have manipulated it some by creating a hype, but the hype is only sustained by buyers continually being willing to pay those prices. I also feel like the Porsche hype has been happening before I had a driver, like around when I got my driver's license is when Porsche hype went nuts and people have been complaining about it since then. And it's been all Porsches. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's just gonna probably stick around. I think so. Uh, do you want to Instagram or you want me to go? Uh, Kevin asks, uh, anyone have any experience with the Audi TTS? Does not give a gen. So Does not give a gen. Um, I'm assuming no. second and third gen. Devin does. <laughs> he does. He has one. I, I've had some TTs in through here. I've never like, uh, they've never really spoken to me or anything like that. I think they're good cars. I don't know. I've, yeah, if you like them, go buy one. All right, the last one I got. Mark uh, says that now that John Ross fixed the Jaguar F-Type, are you going to buy it back since John Ross did all the work? Um, no. If I wanted to keep it, I probably would have just fixed it myself, but it was black, and I hate black cars. So uh, we had a Jaguar F-Type that we took in on trade that had a blown motor and a salvage title. We knew both of this. Uh, going into it and we got it really really cheap on trade and it just kind of sat out back for a long time and uh, uh, was that throw sitting next to the harlequin t-bird next to the harlequin t-bird yes which you could own for twenty five hundred dollars 
and uh, yeah, it's we finally just sold it off to a YouTuber that made some videos and put new engine in it, and yeah, so we're happy for him to to make some money on it and got a project out of our way that we were never gonna work on. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it is time for the props and flops of the night. Thank you guys all for joining me. We will be back next week. Uh, we have a guest in studio next week, and we're going to have a pretty interesting discussion on, uh, I guess, the generations of car enthusiasts and kind of the old guard Ooh. and the snooty conquerors and judge shows and the antique car people versus the younger generation and... You know, I, I think that's going to be a good discussion. But anyway, the prop and flop of the week is brought to you by Switch Cars. Switch Cars is the enthusiast dealership where we buy, sell, consign, service, and store only cars that we like ourselves. Check out our hand-picked inventory at switchcars.com. Our pick of the week is a newly arrived 997 GT3. And not just any GT3. But this is the one that we talked about a while ago that was on Bring a Trailer, and it flopped massively. It, I think the listing went viral because of the seller that was representing it on behalf of the owner. And the inside joke was Gold Level Joe. Gold Level Joe was the oh, tech you have that, that worked on the car. Supposedly, we think it was just a, another username by the broker that was representing the car. But uh, yes, it was the, a debacle of all debacles, a lesson in how not to represent a car on Bring a Trailer. We have the Gold Level Joe GT3 here. We're going to represent it properly. So if you're looking for a driver GT3 that's not a garage queen, it's not perfect, but it is maintained well by Gold Level Joe and other Porsche technicians, then we have a good 997 GT3 for you. And it'll be online soon, but if you want to first crack at it you can inquire to info at switchcars.com the flop of the week we get some really funny inquiries uh, a lot of them are listed on the wall of shame and i'm sure many people mean well and maybe things are just lost in translation of emails texts whatever written communication but also some people like tobias fuke from Arrested Development, yeah. Fuente, uh, are just oh, not yeah. aware of what they're saying. And, and one of the emails we got recently was fantastic. I probably laughed harder than any in a long time. It was a pastel yellow Porsche 993 that we disclosed as having some prior paint work. And we didn't like call out which panels, but we just said, you know, some of the car has been repainted. The question, quote unquote, is the paint original other than where there was work done? I'm going to rephrase that for you. Is the paint original other than where it isn't? I'm like, I, I, I don't know how to answer that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. Duh, duh. What are you asking? <laughs> no, it's not. It's only original where it's not original. I don't know. I got a good laugh out of that one. He didn't buy the car probably because of my smart ass response, but couldn't help myself. The prop of the week. I love this. There is a 300 SL Roadster on RM auctions coming up with 380 
thousand miles on it. I freaking love this because everybody, they look at a car and they go, how many miles are on it? I'm like, what does it matter? Does it look good? Does it not look good? Do you like it? Was it maintained? All the questions you could ask other than just how many miles on the odometer because people judge a car by a number on the dash. My you know, cynical self says this because they don't know how to actually look at a car and judge it on its own merits, but whatever. People are obsessed with mileage. They brag about low mileage. They literally brag about how little they've enjoyed their car. Crazy. This guy, this was owned by a single family since new. They took it on rallies. They drove it friggin' everywhere. And what better car than a 300 SL Roadster? Probably one of the greatest, most beautiful touring cars ever made. 380,000 miles. They've got stories and memories that trump anyone that takes their car to a car show, a Concours, whatever, and says, oh, it's 500 miles, and it's, oh, I've still got the window sticker. Yeah. Anyway, I'm super excited about this. The coolest thing is, right, they're going to be laughing all the way to the bank. The estimate is one and a half to two million uh, British pounds, which is like, yeah, that's that's as much as a super low mileage Concorde winning car would go for. So they enjoy the crap out of their car, pile the miles on, and you know what? Over the long term, it didn't depreciate the car at one dime. They got all those miles for free. So friggin' props to that whole family. That's amazing. I love it. I'm really excited to see what that thing goes for. So that is it. That is our props and flops of the week. We look forward to seeing you next week on SwitchCast. And we also look forward to seeing you this coming weekend. If you can make it out to Old Westbury Gardens in Long Island for the Cannonball Reunion at the Great Marks Concord. Thank you to my co-host, or uh, my question reader, Tyler Sanders. <laughs> I got uh, a promotion. My, oh, my peanut gallery. Yeah, sure. Uh, thank you to our sponsors, BoxCast, Nuts for Sticks, SwitchGuard, Celebrity Machines, Stephen Holm Woodworking, and Nathan's Zetailing. Thank you to our producer and call screener, Ethan Huffnagel. Our bumper music is provided by Emily and Ivory. You can stream their full album on Spotify or SoundCloud. This episode will be available Friday in audio format wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next Wednesday at 8 p.m. as we look forward to answering your automotive questions to help you on the drive of your life.